Mark 4, continuing our study uh, through Mark's Gospel. Um, as Josh has been, uh, has been preaching the last few weeks, he's gone through chapters 1, 2, and 3 through, uh, through uh, the beginning stages of Jesus' ministry. We've seen uh, just an action-packed uh, depiction of Christ's early stages of what he's doing on earth. We've seen him do incredible miracles. We've seen him draw crowds to himself. We've seen uh, him, the, him call out the disciples into service. Uh, we've also seen people, the religious elite, come and oppose Jesus. And uh, as Josh has really been emphasizing, uh, Mark has really just been a, a snapshot, just an action-driven kind of look at the early stages of Christ's ministry. Uh, and then we get to chapter 4. And uh, chapter 4, things are a little bit different. Uh, because in chapter 4, is, it's the largest section of Mark's Gospel uh, where Jesus is directly teaching through parables. Uh, so in chapter 4, it's not so much the action. We're not seeing Jesus going here and Jesus going there and all of these uh, action-driven things happen. We're, we're kind of stopping and slowing down and just soaking in the teachings of Christ uh, as he, he teaches through parables. Um, so what is a parable? Uh, if, if you're anything like me, you kind of grew up with this uh, understanding and maybe Sunday school teachers growing up conveyed this meaning to you that uh, a parable is this earthly story that conveys uh, a spiritual meaning. Um, so, so Jesus using parables is uh, using earthly circumstances that just connect to us in order to convey some spiritual truth to us that just opens our eyes to it. Um, an example of that uh, I, I immediately thought of was when I was uh, a Little League baseball player uh, in Ludlow, Massachusetts, uh, age 7, 8, or 9, around there. And um, just to give you some context about what type of Little League baseball player I was, um, I was one of the worst, I'm going to be honest with you. In the, in the history of Ludlow baseball, uh, I'm, I'm, I go down in history as one of the worst. And uh, to give you some some idea, I remember... Uh, one of my mom's friends had a daughter who was playing on a team that we were playing. And uh, we got there, and, you know, I didn't think much of it. Um, I was way more into soccer. The town I grew up in was, there's a huge Portuguese population. My mom is half Portuguese. I just grew up loving soccer. Didn't care about baseball. So I'm in this game, and I realize that my mom's friend's daughter is the pitcher. And, and I go up. And she throws the first pitch, and I realize, oh, man, she is throwing some heat. There is no way I'm going to hit this thing. And uh, so the first one goes right by me, strike one. Uh, so the second pitch comes even faster than the first pitch. I, I mean, I didn't even have a chance to swing. Strike two. So I kind of step out of the box a little bit, and I realize, you know what? There's no way. There's no way I'm going to get a hit. This girl is going to strike me out. My mom's friend, uh, my mom knows her. I sort of know this girl because my mom's friends with her mom. I see her all the time. Like, this is just humiliating. So she throws the third pitch, and I realize the only way I'm ever getting on base is if I lean in and let her hit me on the shoulder. So, so that was basically my method of getting on base as a Little League baseball player was try to get hit by the pitch or just hope they walk me. And that, that's basically how I got by. Uh, so we're in this big game. Uh, and it, and it, the season's winding down, uh, the, the standings are, teams are close in the standings, and we need to get into the playoffs. Uh, the game, is, it's towards the end of the game, it's really tight, we've got a few guys on base, there's a few outs, and uh, my coach comes up to me, 
And he says, Ryan, there's a chance you might get to hit this, this inning. He's like, you know what? We really, we really, really need you to come up with something here. And uh, he, he was also, he was friends with my dad, and he knew that I was just so into soccer and didn't, just was not into baseball at all. Uh, so he, he starts telling me this story, and he starts saying, Ryan, like, get into this. I ho- like, understand the, the, the seriousness of this moment, the weight of this moment. He's like, pretend like it's the World Cup, and it's the 90th minute, and the score is tied, and the ball comes to your feet. You're going you're gonna to run. You're going to play hard. You're going to do everything. We, we need you to score. We need you to get a hit here. So he got me all fired up. He's, he's telling me the story that is he's telling it uh, in a way that connects to me so I understand. And, and man, he's, he's got me going. So I run up and I'm focused. And keep in mind, like, I did not get on base much at all as a Little League baseball player. So uh, the pitcher throws this pitch and. I may have fouled it off. I don't remember the first few, but I do remember the last pitch, guys. Because the last one, I hit out of the ballpark. And this is a true story. This is actually my only Little League home run. And as I'm, as I'm running around the bases, my team's going crazy. I just came up with this big hit. And my foot hits home plate. And the umpire, and this part is like, if this were a movie, everything would have slowed down into slow motion. And the umpire would have have been speaking in slow-mo, and I would have just, and, uh, and he calls me out as I hit home plate. It turns out that the coach wasn't telling me that I was directly up. He was just telling, if you had the chance to go up, I, he got me so excited, I ran up out of order. I hit this home run, and when I got to home plate, I got called out. Uh, so my team was furious. I was just pumped that I got a hit. Uh, but my coach found a way to communicate something important to me because he connected um, to me. And he, he, he told me this story in a way that made sense. And uh, if you're anything like me, especially with this parable of the sower, uh, you grew up with this Sunday school kind of definition that Jesus is communicating this truth where he tells this story in this, using this farming illustration and this ag- agricultural images because it's, it's images that the audience would have connected with. Uh, just as a way of connecting the, his truth to them so that as soon as they hear his parable, light bulbs are flashing over their head and they get it. And, and the truth of God is just immediately applied to them. And uh, that's not what's going on here, guys. And uh, what I want to do is talk about how Jesus is using the parables, why Jesus is u- using the parables, and what kind of truth and application we can pull out of that um, uh, and I want to just preface, uh, before we get into it, I just want to preface what I'm about to say by saying uh, that uh, this principle about Jesus not using the parables to directly uh, clarify something is not applicable to all the, all the parables in Scripture. It's, uh, when, when, I, when I'm referring to the parables, I'm talking about Mark's use of uh, treatment of Jesus' parables in the book of Mark chapter 4, specifically the parable of the sower. Uh, so how is Jesus using the parables in Mark chapter 4 if he's not intentionally trying to clarify something? And uh, I think with uh, a bit of study you'll realize that he's using the parables to obscure the truth, not to clarify the truth. Uh, and that may seem kind of strange uh, when you first hear about it. Uh, but I'm going to go through a few, few uh, ways that it's evidenced in the text. And the first thing uh, we can just look at the hearer's reaction. In verses 3 to 9, uh, Jesus tells the parable. I mean, he gives the parable of the soils and the seed 
and the sower. Uh, but how do the people respond to it? And uh, their initial response is not understanding. When they first heard this parable, the light bulb was not flashing. Uh, in fact, uh, when they first heard the parable, they had more questions. They didn't quite get what Jesus was saying. They didn't understand what everything re- represented. They didn't understand what it all meant. Um, uh, so that, that was their initial response. Uh, and it's not that Jesus could not have communicated in a way that immediately clarified something. It's that he's intentionally obscuring it uh, because he's got, a, he's got a purpose in that. Uh, we see in verse 10, uh, after Jesus gives the parable, it says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. Uh, so a group of people, after, uh, after he speaks to this huge crowd, a group of people with the twelve disciples come to Jesus asking him, like, Lord, what were those uh, parables about? I didn't get it. What does all that stuff represent? Like, they came and asked him. Uh, we see in verse 13 that uh, Jesus specifically acknowledges the fact that these people did not understand what he was saying. He said, uh, and he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So these people heard the initial story. Uh, they didn't quite get it. Jesus intentionally was using this parable as a way to obscure the truth, not to uh, clarify it. Another way that we know that this is what Jesus was pur- this was uh, Jesus' purpose for telling these parables in Mark chapter four is that Jesus himself intentionally tells us, specifically tells us, this is why I'm, I'm telling these parables. And his reason is that I'm telling them so that they'll be unclear. And uh, again, please bear with me through this part. It may not quite connect or make sense to you, but we're going to talk about why he's doing this later. And hopefully you see some application there. Um, so Jesus specifically tells us this is what he's doing. In uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 10 to 12, he reveals his purpose for telling these parables. Verse 10, it says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So what's going on there? The first thing Jesus is doing in verse 11 is he's drawing this distinction. He's saying, For you, for those of you who came to me after I just told this parable and you were humble enough to come to me, and ask me what it's about to you, I'm giving you the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for those outside who just walked away and didn't understand, they got the parables. Um, And he specifically tells us why he spoke in parables for that group. In verse 12 it says, So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Uh, So, we're going to get into this passage a little bit more in depth. I understand you probably have a lot of questions as we read through verses 10 and 12. There's a lot of, a lot of difficult stuff going on there uh, to understand. We're going to get to that. But right now, I just want to point out that Jesus is intentionally using the parable to obscure the truth. Um, he says that they may indeed see but not perceive, that they may indeed hear but not understand. And that is Jesus' uh, purpose for telling these parables in chapter 4. Uh, so we come to the million-dollar question of why would Jesus, um, who the Son of God, come to the earth to reveal Himself, uh, to call believers to Himself, to take sin to the cross, take our sins to the cross? Like, why would He intentionally obscure something? 
Why would he foggy the truth? Why would he muddy the waters intentionally? And the, the reason that Jesus is doing that in chapter 4 is that he knows that the human heart is sinful and of the obscurity of his message is meant to humble you, to break your heart so that you'll come to him and ask him, Lord, I didn't get it. I don't understand. Will you please explain it to me? Um, that's the whole purpose for why he's using this obscurity. The obscurity is part of the message. It's supposed to get your attention. When the Son of God is speaking truth to you and you don't know what he's saying, when it's, it's, just, it's just nonsense, it's supposed to humble your heart so that you're not trusting in your own wisdom, but you come to Jesus and you say, Lord, I don't understand. Please show me. Please explain the truth to me. Um, of course, we know this is what's happening because this is exactly how the crowd reacts to Jesus' parable. So what Jesus had intended this parable to accomplish is exactly what happens amongst the crowd. We see in uh, verse 1, Jesus starts telling this parable to this huge crowd. Uh, he says, and again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him. He's the descri- Mark's describing this crowd as very large. And it says, It was so large that Jesus had to get into a boat offshore so that everyone could see him and hear him. So he's he's in a boat and this whole huge crowd is is out here and he's speaking from this boat. And it said, uh, And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea and the land and he was teaching them many things in parables. Uh, So we see that the scene opens. And Jesus is here talking to this huge, large, gigantic crowd. Uh, then in verses 3 to 8, he actually tells the story to this whole crowd. And then the scene ch- kind of changes in verse 10. Uh, if this, again, if this were a movie, there might be like a bunch of guys in a coffee shop hanging out. And then the scene changes. And then uh, there's like two guys in an apartment playing video games or something. Uh, so the scene changes in verse 10. It says, and he was alone. Those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. Um, And that may seem kind of contradictory. How can Jesus be alone when uh, those around him and then the twelve were also with him? And what that word alone is really getting at is he was alone from the crowd. So now he's separate from the crowd. He's not amongst this huge group anymore. But we do see that the twelve disciples, and it says others as well, it says those with him, with the twelve, so there's this, some people from the crowd and the twelve, after Jesus told the parable, came to him and asked him to explain the parable to them. Um, so the crowd responds in two different ways. From this huge crowd that Jesus is speaking to, some people walk away. Or some people walk away without understanding what Jesus is saying. They don't have the truth. Uh, and those are the people that in verse uh, 12 Jesus is saying, they did not receive the secrets of the kingdom of God. They never came to Jesus. But the, the crowd also responds in a different way because some people from the crowd hear Jesus' message and they say, you know what, Lord, I don't quite get it. They come to Jesus. They ask Him for an explanation and Jesus is faithful to give them the truth. Uh, so the first reason why uh, uh, Jesus communicates in the way uh, that He does is to uh, uh, intentionally obscure the truth. That's evidenced by the way the crowd reacts. That's the exact reaction they have. Some, if if, uh, Jesus had made the truth incredibly clear right from the beginning, there would have been no reason for some from the crowd to come to him. Uh, But they do. The the crowd responds in two different ways. 
Uh, the second thing is that uh, we need to understand how Jesus is using this quote from Isaiah 6. Um, in verse 12, uh, Jesus says, So that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And to understand how Jesus is using the parables in Mark 4, as well as why he's using the parables in Mark 4, we, under, we have to know how he's using this quote. Um, this quote can be taken uh, many different ways. It, it causes a lot of people a lot of confusion. Uh, so we're going to get into it a little bit here. Uh, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 6, which is the call narrative of Isaiah. Uh, in, this, in this chapter, uh, God is calling Isaiah to a prophetic service. Um, and leading up to that point in Isaiah, the, uh, the Israelites and the Judeans have been incredibly sinful and uh, just idolatrous and they have rejected the things of God and God has continually making his message clear to them and they just continually rejecting and rejecting and rejecting and God's patient generation over generation God is patiently revealing his truth clearly and they are continually rejecting uh, in fact in, in Isaiah 1 it says hear O heavens and give ear O earth for the Lord has spoken children have I reared and brought up but they have rebelled against me. He's saying that he's, he's equating these Israelites to children who have rebelled. He says, The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. So we see in Isaiah 1, that these, these Israelites have totally separated themselves from God. God has is, is, is revealed His message to them. They've rejected it. It says that they are utterly estranged. In Isaiah 5, it says, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. These people, again, just depending on their own wisdom, their own ways instead of humbly coming to the Lord. Uh, John Calvin has this great quote where he says, The most effective poison to lead us to ruin is to boast in ourselves, in our wisdom and willpower. The only escape to safety is simply to follow the guidance of the Lord. And that's these Israelites. They're, they're just boasting in their own wisdom, their own willpower. They're rejecting God. So we get to Isaiah chapter 6. With all of that context, all of, all of what Israel has been doing, uh, in verses 1 to 7, Isaiah sees this unbelievable vision of the Lord. And in verses 8 to 10, God uh, reveals His his plan and calls Isaiah to service. And this is what Jesus is quoting. He says in verse 8, Then I heard of the, vo the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And here's Isaiah's response. And I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, And this is what God is calling Isaiah to. Go, tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. I mean, when God's given us a call to ministry, a lot of times we can be frustrated when we don't see fruit. Can you imagine being Isaiah? When, he, when God is calling you, he said, I've got a word for you to speak to the, these people, and they're not going to understand it. They're going to see. They're not going to perceive they're going to hear. They're not going to understand. In fact, what you're going to tell them is going to further callous their hearts. 
God is calling Isaiah to this ministry of hardening. <clears throat> and like I said, what is, what is happening here in Isaiah <clears throat> excuse me, is that God has been revealing Himself, giving His people opportunity after opportunity to accept Him, to obey, and they've just continually rejected Him so that God now allows them spiritual blindness uh, where they see and not perceive, spiritual deafness where they hear and not perceive uh, and not understand, but also, verse 10, that their hearts will be calloused. And I want you to know that this is not a statement of God's love for these people. It's a statement of God's judgment over their sin. And there is a real difference there. God is not saying that you're, you're nothing, you're worthless, I don't love you. He's saying your sin is so great. I've given you so many opportunities. I'm just going to give you over to it. You refuse. You are so stubborn. You reject me. I'm just going to let your heart be even further hardened. So Jesus, by referencing this uh, in Isaiah 6, is just revealing the fact that he knows the people's hearts in the crowd. He knows that there are people's hearts in that crowd that he's speaking to who are in the same boat as, as Isaiah's audience uh, back when Isaiah was, was prophesying. That there are people who have just absolutely been rejecting God and have been just refusing to uh, heed to the word of the Lord. We know that uh, John the Baptist came in, in uh, Mark chapter 1 uh, prophesying and, and, and uh leading the way for Christ, and, and he was rejected. We know that. Uh, and, and even in chapter 3, verse 4, Jesus says, He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And then in verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately had ca- held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. So Jesus knows that in the crowd, amongst all of these people he's preaching to, there are hardened hearts. And the obscurity of this parable is going to bring people uh, it, it's meant to, for those people that aren't going to leave, it's going to further harden them. Uh, for those who are soft and are willing to come to Jesus and in humility, it's going to just reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God. So the obscurity of this parable is really meant to elicit this dual response from the crowd uh, that some people are going to just wallow in the hardness of their heart, rejecting God, rejecting the word, refusing to believe, and, and they're going to walk away. Whereas other people are going to humbly uh, come to the Lord and admit, I don't know what he's saying. And they're going to go and get the secrets of the kingdom of God. Um, so that's, uh, that's sort of how I, uh, Mark is, is, is uh, using or at least referring to the parables in, uh, in chapter 4. That's how, why Jesus is referencing Isaiah uh, chapter 6. So really the parable is just a tool. And its message is, you, sinful person, need to come to me. And uh, really the whole, the whole uh, uh, form of the parable, the whole reason he's using it is to draw people to himself. Uh, I also just wanted to mention that, and I just find this so interesting, that uh, how Jesus is using the parable and why Jesus is using the parable is a, is a method of drawing people to himself and, and breaking down the human heart and uh, just humbling you to the point where you have to come and ask him for truth. That's also the, the content of the parable of the sower, which takes up most of chapter 4. Um, that's exactly what it's teaching. Uh, so the, the parable itself is also intending to convey the same truth uh, that we just went over. Uh, so what, one thing that's immediately striking to me about the parable is that uh, the seed is falling, the same seed is falling on 
four different types of soil. And it's having two different effects. Uh, the first effect is that when the seed hits the soil, it just causes unfruitfulness and the seed dies. It just brings death. Uh, the first soil in chapter 3, I'm sorry, uh, verse 3, it says, Listen. And again, Jesus is using Isaiah 6 language here. He's calling you, if you have the ears to hear, listen to what I'm saying. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. The second soil, verse 5, other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. And then the third soil, other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. In all of these examples, the seed dies and there is no fruit. The seed does not take root. And, uh, the first soil, the birds came and come and devour it. And the second one, the sun rises, the seed is scorched, and it withers away. The third soil, the thorn grows and chokes it out, and the seed dies. So the first thing that happens in this parable is that the seed dies when it hits these first three soils. And then there's the fourth soil, which brings fruitfulness and life for the seed. It says in verse 8, and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has the ears, let him hear. Again, he closes with this Isaiah 6 language. If, if you're in this crowd and you have the ears, hear what I'm saying. Come to me and ask me what this means afterwards. And we see that in this first soil comes fruitfulness in life. So just as when Jesus is speaking to the crowd, there are two reactions. Some hearts are hardened and they walk away. Other hearts are softened and they come to Jesus. Within the parable itself, some seeds die and wither. Other seeds grow and have fruitfulness. Um, and this is really uh, important as Jesus explains the parables. In verses 13 to 20, we see that the Word uh, is represented by the seed, that the, the Word of God is, is sowed, and that the soil is representative of the human heart. So the heart is the ground where the Word is sown. Uh, Jesus explains what each of these grounds is representing. In verse 15, he talks about the first soil. He says, And these are the ones along the path where the Word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the Word that is sown in them. So we know that this heart, this first heart, is deceived by the enemy. The Word of God takes no root, and then the seed dies. Uh, the second soil. In uh, verses 16 and 17, Jesus explains, He says, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who when they hear the Word immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises, on account of the Word, immediately they fall away. Uh, so the Word has no root in this heart. And as soon as a per persecution or trial or tribulation or tough times come, uh, the Word is choked out uh, and these people just turn away from God. Soil number three. And others are the ones sown among thorns. Verse 18. Uh, they are those who hear the Word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other thing enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Uh, so the word, the heart in this third example are the people that are so preoccupied with the cares of the world and the things of this world, what culture is telling you to do and what the media is telling you to value, that they just totally walk away from God. The word of God takes no root in their life, 
and uh, there is no spiritual fruit. Uh, so all of these uh, illustration, uh, illustrations are just really exemplifying uh, the fact that the human heart is so sinful and so easily deceived and so prone to hardness. Um, yet Jesus, in, uh, as we see in the fourth soil, has a, has a remedy for that. And as Jesus is telling these parables, he's seeing this going on. He's looking and saying, I know you, you've got the heart of the first heart of soil. You've got the second heart of soil. I know what my, how my word's going to fall on you. I know how you've rejected me. And he, he knows they're going to walk away, but he also is using the obscurity of it all because he knows some will come to him in humility. And that's these people in the fourth soil. Uh, and I just, I just ask that if you, if you sit here today having uh, believed in, in Jesus as your personal Savior, I, I hope reading this just really moves you to something uh, special today because it's an incredible, incredible gift. Uh, that, Je- that Jesus caused your heart to be like this and that he's causing fruitfulness in your life. And uh, verse 8, he says, The other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And Jesus explains this in verse 20. He says, But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Uh, so these are the people that the Word of God has, uh, has softened them up. And they humbly come to Jesus and they ask for the truth. And Jesus faithfully gives it to them. Uh, and it's amazing the fact that Jesus is so faithful uh, to cause fruitfulness, spiritual fruitfulness in their lives. And uh, this person is not also not... Um, this person also has to deal with the deceptions of the devil and the uh, cares of the world and trials and tribulations. Uh, but what happens in this heart is that the Word of God has taken root and fruitfulness has come so that when the devil comes and, de- and deceives, this person doesn't turn from the Lord. Uh, when trials and tribulations, hardships come, this person doesn't turn from the Lord. And when the cares of the world are weighing heavy down upon you, Uh, This heart does not turn from the Lord. This heart continually seeks Jesus. Um, So there were two reactions uh, from the the, uh, the two different ways the soil reacts to receiving this seed. Um, And I just want to say today that the way that the fourth soil uh, receives the seed, having this good good soil, uh, receptive soil, is not of man's doing that you, I, none of us can on our own change the, the, the uh, hardened heart and turn it soft. Neither of us can, none of us can take the prideful heart and turn it humble. Uh, none of us can do this. In fact, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So we cannot on our own make our, our, our hardened hearts our eyes that don't see, our ears that don't perceive. We cannot give ourselves this softness of heart, these eyes, these ears that hear and understand. And the whole point of this is that Jesus can. Jesus is the one who can give you the eyes that see. Jesus alone is the one that can give you the ears that hear. Jesus is the one that can make your hard heart soft he can, he can take the cares of the world and He can see you through it. He can take the deceptions of the devil and He can give you a, a fortified spirit. 
He can take uh, all the tri- trials and tribulations and instead of tear you down with them, He can bless you and, and show you things and grow you through them. Um, on, this is only a work of Jesus by grace. So that's why we need to turn to Him. That's why He's speaking in obscurity. He wants these people to have a humble heart so they come to Him and receive the truth. That's exactly what the parable itself is about. Um, John 7, this is just an awesome passage. Uh, Jesus is speaking. It says, on the last day of the feast, uh, this is verse 37-38, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about. That if you will humbly come to Jesus, He can change the sinfulness, the blackness, the corrupt nature of your heart. And He can make it soft and receptive and flow with living water. Um, So this is why we must come to Him. Um, So Jesus is using these parables in Mark chapter 4 as a tool. And these parables are going to accomplish something among the crowd. Some people are going to receive it. They're going to hear Jesus' words. They're not going to understand. But they're going to have the eyes that don't see, the ears that don't uh, perceive, and they're going to just walk away. And because they walk away, they're further hardened. Other people are going to hear what Jesus is saying. They're not going to understand. But they're going to come to Jesus, and Jesus is going to reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God to them. Jesus is going to faithfully give them the truth. And their heart, instead of having a hardened heart, their heart is going to become soft. And that is all because of the grace of God and the work of Jesus. Um, so as we just kind of close up, I just have one encouragement for you. And uh, my encouragement is this. I just, I just really encourage you to put yourself in the position of the humble and contrite disciple who comes to Jesus rather than the stubborn, sinful a prideful person who just walks away without understanding. Um, and as we, uh, as uh, I spoke with Josh about preparing uh, a sermon this week, um, he's uh, for many of you that don't know, he's actually at a, a teen camp and has just been doing great things there. He asked me to go through the whole entirety of chapter four. So we have like three more parables and like the Jesus calming the storm. So I hope you're hope you're comfortable. Uh, I'm just kidding. I saw some, I saw some looks of horror out there. Um, but I did want to close with just this one, uh, this one application that for those who do come to Jesus, for those who do humbly submit to him and ask him uh, to reveal the word to them, that Jesus is so radically committed to you. Uh, look with me at, at uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 33. Jesus continues on telling more parables to this crowd And then in verse 33, it says this. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. For those who would hear the message and then come to Jesus, Jesus was so faithful to explain everything to them, answer their questions. Reveal God's truth. 
that for those people with the humble hearts who seek out the Lord, Jesus is radically committed to you. And uh, I just want to ask, if, if you're sitting here this morning and you haven't made that commitment, uh, please know that committing your life to the Lord, trusting in Jesus as your personal Savior, knowing that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, that He went to the cross, He took your sins with Him, He, he, he paid the punishment, He endured the curse on your behalf. If you'll only trust in Him, Man, He is so faithful to bless you spiritually and commit Himself to you. And uh, if you are here this morning and you've already made that commitment, I just encourage you to continually go to Jesus uh, for everything. When, when life is difficult, when times are tough, when trials come, when the cares of the world are weighing down, let Jesus be the one you go to. Please don't walk away from Him. Father, we love you so much. And Lord, we just thank you for your word, Lord. And Father, I just thank you so much uh, that you know our hearts better than anyone. That you communicate to us in ways that we need, Father. 